What's up, sports people? I'm back. It's been a while. I've got some new equipment, so hopefully my recordings will sound better. I have moved to Florida, so I've had a lot going on, but I'm back. I'm ready to get to it, so let's hop right in. Now, we're a month into the NFL season, and there's a few things to take away from that in general. There is one undefeated team, the Eagles, which I don't believe will be undefeated for very long, considering how they played against the Cardinals. There are some really, really good teams, borderline great, that have had some miscues early, such as the Kansas City Chiefs losing to the Colts. But other than that, there are only like two or three, maybe four great teams, really good to great teams. And there's a bunch of blah in the end. But... Let's hop right into what we've seen so far. We're going to go through the AFC, what we've learned, and little snippets from the AFC. Starting with the AFC North, Pittsburgh, they're low-key rebuilding. TJ Watt's injured. They're 19th in the league in third down percentage. They're 23rd in points per game, and they're 24th in yards allowed. They have a rookie rookie quarterback, And like I said, their star defender is injured. They just need to get healthy. By the way, all stats are provided by ESPN stats or teamrankings.com. Moving on to Baltimore, Lamar is him. He has 14 total touchdowns. He has over 1,000 yards passing and almost 400 yards rushing. With Dobbins and Andrews, if Dobbins stays healthy and Andrews continues to be the tight end that we have seen over the years, then they are the team to beat in the AFC North. And yes, that's even with Cincinnati having Joe Burrow and a reworked offensive line. Moving on to Cleveland, they're, eh, I mean, they're top 10 in scoring offense, which is pretty good. But their defense is middle of the pack everywhere except for third down conversions. They're top five there. But Jacoby Brissett is literally just a placeholder until Deshaun Watson gets back. They could be 4-1 and if they make a field goal versus the Chargers and Chubb goes down against the Jets. But he didn't. They didn't make it. And they are where they are. Moving on to Cincinnati. They'll get there. They have a top 10 scoring defense. They're 13th on scoring offense. And Joe Burrow didn't play preseason, so these first few games have been pretty much his preseason. He had uh, a surgery in the offseason, so they're going to get it figured out. Like I said earlier, they have a reworked offensive line. They brought in some new guys. They have played better before going into the Baltimore game. They had only allowed three sacks in the past two games leading in. Now, they did give up, I believe, three sacks in that game, so that wasn't too great on their part, but they will get it figured out. Moving on to the AFC West, Kansas City, they're getting over the hill. Yes, that pun was intended. Since trading Tyreek Hill, they have the number two scoring offense after... Monday night's game, they now have the number one scoring offense. They're fifth in yards a game, and they're converting over 51% of their third downs. 
Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid are the brains and the engine that make that team go. As long as those three are there and they don't get injured or replaced or anything, Kansas City will always be the team to be in the AFC West. Moving to the Las Vegas Raiders, they're one and four now with Adams, which honestly a lot of people say was would be mind blowing considering the fact that they added Adams and all the pieces they've added in the offseason. But honestly, it's not that surprising considering yes, Josh McDaniels isn't a rookie head coach, but it is his first year. They they have a top ten scoring offense, so he's figured that part out. But they have a bottom three in scoring defense. So they need to get the defense worked out. Otherwise, they could probably be undefeated right now, look, looking eye-to-eye eye with the Philadelphia Eagles. But moving on to the Los Angeles Chargers, is Staley the guy? I'm not so sure because for the second year now, he has had a bottom-tier defense which is alarming considering the fact that he is a defensive head coach. That's what he made his money in before getting the head coaching job as the Chargers head coach. He was a defensive guy. And I don't think if it continues on like this, he will be the head coach much longer because there are tons of offensive head coaches that would love to have Justin Herbert as their franchise quarterback. Because as of right now, it looks like he is the reason that the Chargers won nine games last year and are three and two this year. Going on to Denver, their horseshit. Russell Wilson has looked off. The coach has no idea how to manage a game. And honestly, I would not be surprised if he got fired at the end of the season, maybe even sooner, because... He was hired to get the offense rolling. They knew they had a fairly well put together defense. They just needed the extra oomph to get over the hill and compete with Kansas City for Super Bowls. Now, they look disorganized, and honestly, they just look really bad. They look like the Jets from last year. They look like they have no idea what's going on. Russell Wilson doesn't look confident in the system that he is running. He's overthrowing. He doesn't look – he looks like he's trying to do too much without the proper understanding of what needs to be done. Now, moving into the AFC East, you have the Buffalo Bills. Can they run and does not matter? They're a little bit like Baltimore where the running game – and the passing game go through their quarterback, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I don't know if it's a consistent formula for winning because it seems like if Josh Allen isn't doing his thing, running the ball and throwing, then they are a one-dimensional team, which is not very good if they're trying to make the Super Bowl, which is what they have expectations for this year. Now, Josh Allen said that they're – Intermediate and short passing game can act as their running game, which, yes, it can, but he's also been inconsistent this year. So I'm not too sure if he's going to make the plays 
that are needed in crunch time that would act as a running game late in, state, late in games when they have a one- or two-point lead. Because if he doesn't complete the pass, then the clock stops. And that's just an extra almost timeout for the opposing team. So they need to figure out a run game. But the Bills do have the number one scoring defense, even though they are kind of banged up in the secondary. Miami is 0-2. They are winless since Tua has went down with his injury. Now, honestly, I feel like that's, that's alarming, considering they have Teddy Bridgewater back there, who is a career backup as well, but has shown that he can carry a franchise to consistent wins as he did in Minnesota. He's not going to be the game-breaker, the over-the-top world-beater that Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes is, but he is consistent enough and can make, good, make enough throws to get that team on the winning track without two or there. And honestly, their defense got exposed a little bit against the New York Jets when they got 40 dropped on them. So they need to go back to the drawing board and figure out how to play better solid defense. And they need to get to a healthy again because without him, that offense looks anemic. Moving on to New England, they look out of date. They have no star wide receiver. They have no star quarterback. And if you consider Daniel, not Daniel Jones, uh, Mac Jones, a star quarterback, then you need to reevaluate what you consider good or star quarterbacks. He's good, but he's not a star. They have three different guys calling the plays, and two of them, the head coach, Bill Belichick, and the now offensive coordinator, Matt Patricia, are both defensive guys, which is very alarming. They are run and set up as an old-school football team. They do not look anything like a modern football team with weapons and a star guy running the show. They don't have any of that, and honestly, I feel like it shows. Yes, they dropped 29 points on – who was it? I want to say it was – was it Jacksonville? I don't know. They dropped 29 points in their last last game. They won 29 to nothing. But that is not sustainable because they're playing a bad team. Now, moving on to the Jets. The Jets are wheels up. They're flying high. They got back-to-back wins. Like I said a minute ago, they dropped 40 on the Miami defense, and they overcame a 10-point deficit against Pitt. So they seem to have things clicking they are making the making timely plays, and honestly, their young guys like Zach Wilson and some of their other receivers are in their second year, and they're starting to shine. They're starting to come through and make those clutch plays, and they're being a consistent weapon for Zach Wilson to go to with the ball. And he honestly seems to be doing much better with his decision making and not throwing over, not throwing passes that are ill-advised, and just tucking it down and running and taking what he can get. So he seems to have matured a lot over the offseason and dealing with his injury. Moving on to the AFC South. Tennessee Titans, it's return of the king. 
Derrick Henry has had back-to-back 100-yard rushing games. He's had three touchdowns in the past two games. But even with that success, they are not a good second-half team. They have 17 total points in the second half this year, and they're not good off script. They need to – I feel like Todd Downing doesn't really understand – how to get his players in the best position for success when it's not a part of the game plan that they went in with. If it's not predetermined what they're going to do in certain situations, I feel like he doesn't understand how to get into the right play based on the feel of the game. And that's not going to work for long-term success in this league. Yes, they're 3-2. and two. Yes, they've come out with some clutch wins. Like this past week against Washington, they came away with a game-winning interception. But that's not sustainable for long periods of time. Jacksonville could be 5-0. Each loss has been by by one score. The most points they've lost by this season so far is eight points. They're well coached. Doug Peterson seems to know what he's doing. And... He's the grown-up in the room that have that has elevated this team to new standards. I believe they will double their win total from last year, which shouldn't be hard considering they only won three games last year, and they're already almost there with two. But I would say give Doug Peterson another year or so, and they will be a viable option for winning the AFC South. Indianapolis, their horseshit 2.0. Matt Ryan looks washed. He's making bad decision after bad decision. Jonathan Taylor has come back down to earth after that amazing season last year. He's not the guy that he was last year, which I don't know if it's a combination of a new quarterback or the fact that teams have figured out how to play him to keep him bottled up. Because he does not look like the same person he was last year. They tied with the one-win Texans. Which, (laughs) if you're tying with the Texans, then good luck with the rest of the season. And they were shut out by Jacksonville. They beat Horseshit 1.0 Denver. But they didn't score a single touchdown. And that definitely is not sustainable for long-term success. They're 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. They, need to, they need to figure something out. Uh, Frank Reich needs to figure out how to get this offensive go, offense going. Moving on to Houston, they're bad all the way around. The only bright spot is Davis Mills, who seems to have a knack for – I wouldn't say has a knack for. He's just a good quarterback – and I feel like they got to steal having him as the guy under center for the past two years because he is the only good thing, the only bright spot about that team. They're bad everywhere. Switching to college football. College football has been pretty wonky this year. I mean, Oklahoma is bad, like bad, bad. Like they don't know how to do fundamentals on defense apparently. And honestly – Brent Venables has been an abject disaster as a head coach 
in how his team is playing. They just got shut out by Texas in the Red River Showdown, which I don't know if it has been done ever before, and if it has, it hasn't been done for a very, very long time. Kansas is good, although they might have just lost their star quarterback for the rest of the season. He went down with an injury, which is weird considering they're considered a basketball school. But I've seen them play a couple games, and they look good, and they're fun to watch. Georgia and Bama, I'm going to wait on them. Hold on. I'm going to stick with the Big 12. TCU, I believe, will win the Big 12. I've seen two of their games, and they look well coached, well put together. Sonny Dykes has them rolling, and I forget the quarterback's name, Grady or something like that. Anyway, he's an animal. He looks like a a smaller, slimmer version of Tim Tebow, only he throws the ball better. OSU, Oklahoma State, they will they'll win a they'll make a major bowl this year, but I don't believe they have the defense like they had last year that was stingy and dominant in order to get them to a possibility of the college football playoff. Now, switching over to the Pac twelve, USC is good again. Lincoln Riley has that thing working. Caleb Williams has the second-best odds to win the Heisman this year behind C.J. Stroud. But I feel like in year one, it's just too much to ask for them to come in, for Lincoln Riley to come in and turn the whole program around and get to a college football playoff in the first year. I feel like that's a lot. What he's doing there is great, and I commend it. And I honestly, I'm not a huge USC fan, but I enjoy seeing teams from the West good because it makes more talking points other than Bama or Georgia or Clemson or Ohio State. So I enjoy that very much. UCLA is good for now. I don't know how sustainable their success is. I believe they will lose probably two games this year. But their quarterback, Thompson Johnson or something like that, he – He's a playmaker, and he will. they will go as far as he can take them. But I don't think he will take them to the promised land because it is his fifth year there in, in college football, and he's just now showing this, which I understand it takes time to progress and figure things out. But for him to take five years to get to that point, what he's doing now, it, I just don't see it being – that over-the-hill, take-you-to-the-national-championship type of player because it's taken him this long to get to this point. Switching to the Big Ten, Ohio State is the team to beat this year. They have put up – they have the number one scoring offense. I believe the number one scoring offense in the nation. They had the most explosive plays, most passes over 30-plus yards – And their defense is dominant. They have a national title type of defense. They can shut you down. They can shut down what you do best, and it's scary. They are the number one team. I know they haven't played any big names. The biggest biggest game they had this year was against Notre Dame, and Notre Dame isn't that good this year. But at the time, no one knew that, and they completely shut them down. It was a ranked game to start the season. 
Michigan is good, but they will choke to Ohio State this year. Like they do almost every year under Jim Harbaugh. Ohio State is the standard. Michigan is second. They will not get past Ohio State this year. Ohio State is the Big Ten championship champion this year. And Michigan will be sitting there looking up, wondering what bowl they'll be going to. Moving over into the SEC, my neck of the woods. Georgia and Bama, they look shaky, honestly. Georgia, or not Georgia, Bama has, they're kind of iffy and sketchy in the secondary when it comes to their cornerbacks because they won by one point to Texas, and in the first half they were being lit up by that quarterback before he went injured, before he got injured. And A&M, they won by four points, and it came down to not a secondary play to lock the game down. It was pressure on the quarterback that forced a bad throw. So they were being lit up by Texas A&M, who has a horrendous offense this season, and they only won by four points. And I believe, if not mistaken, it was in Tuscaloosa, which doesn't happen very often. Or was it? No. It was at Caulfield. My bad. It was in A&M. But still, they don't look like the Bama of years past. They don't look dominant. They, don't, they look very beatable this year. Georgia, on the other hand, doesn't have a passing game. They rely on their run game. And Stetson Bennett is like a Greg McElroy, only a little better. He's good enough. Now, in the Missouri game, they weren't able to run the ball very effectively for most of that game, which is why they were behind. They were throwing a lot more than they normally do. They didn't take a lead in that game until four minutes to go in the fourth quarter. They need to get that running game going consistently and often in order for Stetson Bennett to be able to throw off play action and make those plays that he does best. Now, there's one more team in the SEC that has been very, very, very quiet, almost dead for like the past 15 years, and that is my Tennessee Vols, baby. They are back. Tennessee is back, and they're back with a vengeance. They have the number two offense in the nation. They are second to only Ohio State in 30-plus yard plays downfield with 16. Hendon Hooker, their quarterback, is a Heisman caliber guy. And, yes, he's a transfer, and, yes, this is his fifth season. And I just said something about UCLA's quarterback being a Heisman candidate but only not trusting him because it's his fifth season. It took him this point to this long to get there. But Hidden Hooker is a different situation. It's almost like it's almost like a Joe Burrow kind of story because he transferred from Virginia Tech because he couldn't get the starting job. Went to Tennessee, got beat out there, got his chance to finally start, and he has took off. Ever since he transferred to Tennessee, he's done nothing but throw 40 touchdowns and three interceptions. In two years, he has 14 touchdowns and 178 pass attempts since his last interception. And that was last year against Georgia. I believe, 
I honestly, I thought they were getting their best wide receiver back in Cedric Tillman for the game coming up this weekend, but it looks like he will be held out. I was the Josh Heupel said that he would not play against Alabama unless he was 100% ready to go, and it doesn't seem like he is 100% yet. So it's going to be on Jalen Hyatt, Brew McCoy, and I forget the other kid's name. I can never remember it, but he's number 80. He made the diving catch against Florida a few weeks ago. But it's going to be up to them to make the big plays down the field and put the stress on the Alabama corners in that secondary for them to make a, have a chance to win. And Tennessee needs to get Jabari Small going. Get him oh, – excuse me – get him – big chunks of yard early and often to really get that defense, try to suck in to stop him. Those They can hit those easy big plays that they are known for in this offense. Hendon Hooker has them clicking on all cylinders, and that was evident last week against LSU. He only threw for two touchdowns and a little over 200 yards, but it wasn't the numbers that were eye-popping that made it real, made you realize that he is – a Heisman number three in Heisman odds at 12 to one. It was the deep pass to Jalen Hyatt for, I believe, 40 something yards for a touchdown. And it was his movability in the pocket. He climbed the pocket, he knew when to escape and make plays with his legs. He has uncanny poise in the pocket and a knack for knowing where the defenders are coming, where they're rushing him from moving away and making an accurate throw or tucking away and running. They have number three Alabama coming to town, and that place is going to be so loud that, honestly, I don't think there will be a louder place in the nation this year. It won't matter if there's another beast mode type of run in Seattle or anything. Newland Stadium, Newland Stadium this weekend will be the loudest place in the United States for the rest of the year and probably for all of the year. Now, Tennessee will have to win three massive games, two of the three massive games coming up in order for them to have a chance at the college football playoff. It'll have to be Bama. It's probably more than likely going to be Bama, Georgia, Bama. They have to win this game and or the Georgia game and have some help to get to the SEC championship game or lose the Bama, beat Georgia, and not lose to any teams, not stumble along the way going through the SEC East to hold the tiebreaker to get to Atlanta. So they need to win, like I said, two of the three coming up soon. And their first test is this weekend with Bama coming to town. So they need to buckle down, pull the chin strap tight, and go out there and smack Alabama in the face. Now, there is college – or not college. There is Major League Baseball playoffs going on. In the wild card round, you had Cleveland beating Tampa, Seattle beating Toronto. You had the Phillies beating the Cardinals, and you had the Mets choking away – the division to the Braves at the end of the season, and then falling right on their face against the Padres. Now, still to come are the Yankees versus the Cleveland, the, the Yankees versus the Guardians, Houston versus Seattle, Atlanta versus Philly, 
and the Dodgers versus the Padres. The Yankees, I believe, will win it for. They are currently leading the series 1-0. The, the game tonight was postponed. Houston and Seattle, I have Houston winning in three. They had a three-run homer at the, end of, at the bottom of the ninth in order to seal that win versus the Mariners to get that first win of the series. I watched that game. It was an epic three-run homer. It was, a, it was a really good game, but I think Houston will sweep the series. I feel like that was probably Seattle's best opportunity to get to steal a game. Atlanta versus Philly. I have Atlanta in four. They started off rocky, but they got, they got a win yesterday to tie the series 1-1. I believe they will win in four. I have, tr- I have faith in my Braves to not – lose another game in this series. They were playing really, really well. They got hot at the end of the season in order to come from behind and take the division lead from the Mets. So I have ultimate faith in my Braves to pull this one out in four. Now the Dodgers versus the Padres, I have the Dodgers winning in five. The game started off with the Dodgers winning game one, but the Padres just came back and they won game two to tie the series. I believe that with the Dodgers being such big favorites going into that series that they're getting a little tight. They have such high expectations for this team that when they meet a lesser opponent, they seem to want to kind of push a little more, try to do a little extra, and not just play within the flow of the game. And I feel like that's going to come back to bite them in a couple games, and they're going to lose a couple of them. But I still have them pulling it out, the championship mentality and the championship pedigree that they have to pull out this series. But I believe it will be pushed all the way to five. All right, now going back to the NFL, I'm going to give you my top ten of this week. The best teams that I've seen so far up to this up to this point in time, and it's a it's a it's based on week to week performances, but it's also a collective of how they looked over the entire season so far because some teams have up and down weeks. So starting at number ten, at the New York Giants, Daniel Jones is playing the best football of his career. And it is clear that Brian Dable is a competent and effective head coach and is getting the most out of him. And on top of that, Saquon Barkley is back. He is back to being his old self, the all-star playmaker that we have come to know of him. Number nine, I have the L.A. Chargers. Justin Herbert is the first, second, and third reason for them being in the top ten. Brian Staley has yet to figure out the defensive side of the of the team and they seem overly aggressive in situations that are unnecessary or unwarranted for that. They don't take into account who they're playing when it comes to going for fourth downs or going for two point conversions. Number eight, I have have Baltimore. Baltimore has to quit giving up fourth quarter leads or they would be higher. They are effective when it matters except for holding fourth quarter leads. It seems like the team 
has a perpetual letdown in the fourth quarter and glowing into the second half as well because they have given given up two 17-point leads so far this season. Number seven is Miami. The defense got exposed a bit against the New York Jets, but I think overall they are still a very well-run defense. And Tua will be back, not this weekend, but more than likely next weekend. So if Teddy Bridgewater is out of concussion protocol for this weekend, then I would expect Miami to at least, if they don't win, to have a very close game. But I expect them to be back in the hunt once Tua comes back because they have the best wide receiver duo in the league with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, who are, were, last time I checked, number one and number four in yards this season. Number six is Minnesota. They can play with anybody, but they can lose to everybody. They have a tendency to play up or down to their level of competition, and Kirk Cousins has yet to win a big game. Now, yes, that's all fine and dandy, playing at 1 o'clock and losing a couple big games during the season, but every single game in the playoffs is a big primetime game, and that is where he is at his worst. So until he gets over that hump, I don't see Minnesota actually ever being a Super Bowl contender. Number five, I have the Dallas Cowboys. They have a dominant defense and a star pass rusher with Micah Parsons. He is one he is unblockable one-on-one. And as long as the Dallas Cowboys offense plays to their strength of running the ball when Dak gets back, that is when he is at his best because whenever you put the blind resume up between Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins, they are identical. Kirk Cousins can't win primetime games. Dak Prescott can't beat good teams. So as long as they go back to what they did his rookie season and rely heavily on the run game and allow him to make plays occasionally instead of being the star driving the bus, then I believe Dallas is one of the top three teams in the NFC to watch out for this year. Number four, I have Philadelphia. Philadelphia is undefeated. They are the only undefeated team left. But the way they played, the way mostly it's the way Jalen Hurts played against the Cardinals, he seems to have come back down to earth a bit, and he's not being the world beater we all saw in the first two to three weeks. That team will be consistent, and they're a good, good team. But... I wouldn't expect them to go on being undefeated for very much longer because I feel like Jalen Hurts is a good quarterback, but he is he's a Lamar Jackson light, honestly. And whenever I was first getting into this, I did a little mini article just testing the waters on my ability to do sports casting and sports opinion. And I looked it up and Taking Lamar Jackson's best year, the year he won the Heisman, and then taking Jalen Hurts' best year, the year he was with Lincoln Riley, the numbers are almost identical. They threw almost the same amount of touchdowns, the almost same amount of yards, and they had the same completion, almost the same completion completion percentage, and the, almost the same amount of interceptions. They were identical. 
But Lamar Jackson is faster, although their 40 times are similar. Jalen Hurts is obviously slower. So Hurts is Lamar Jackson light. And I would expect him to play like my Lamar Jackson, have the ups and downs. And I don't think they are going to be the number one team in the league really for any much much of the season, if any of the season. But they are consistent, and they will be a top five, top three team in the league this year. Number three is the 49ers. If Jimmy G, does, Jimmy G doesn't turn the ball over, then the roster and the way Kyle Shanahan puts together and game plans and coaches that team, they are the best team in the NFC with Debo Samuel and Jawan Jennings being the two most one of the t- two of the most physical receivers in the league. Number two, it's really like one B. It's the Buffalo Bills, and I put them at two because Josh Allen is a little inconsistent. He has six total turnovers in five games, so he will turn the ball over. He is prone to doing that, but they do have the number one scoring defense. So, yes, he will turn the ball over, but they can also get turnovers and help out the, help out the offense whenever he does start to struggle. Now, one is 1A, and it's Kansas City. Kansas City looks like the Super Bowl team we saw a few years ago. Mahomes is consistently putting together long touchdown drives, which is what he struggled with in the first half of the season last year. They couldn't put together 8, 10, 12-yard, 12-play uh, drives. And so far, he has done it on two occasions that I'm aware of because I watched it happen. He has put together 10 and 12 play drives and that have led to touchdowns. He's not looking for the over-the-top play. He's not looking for the explosive Tyreek Hill, I'm going to outrun everybody to the end zone. So he is playing lights out. He has become a better quarterback, taking what the defense gives him and living to play another down. Travis Kelsey is the number one tight end wide receiver duo kind of hybrid combination in the league. Yes, he is a tight end. He does block, but he also does catch a lot of passes, and he's also put out wide as a wide receiver. So with him, Patrick Mahomes, and then Andy Reid still calling the plays and doing – not really calling the plays, but doing his thing, scheming up the team for success on offense, which is what he is the best at, I would have to say, in the league this year, probably in the past – like. 10 to 15 years he's been the best on off the best offense of mine in the football league in the national football league but with all three of them together and a middle of the pack good defense they are the super bowl favorites this season switching to some of the controversy that's been going on in the league i want to start off with the green bay packers and aaron rodgers he Called out his fellow teammate after the loss to to the New York Giants. And I feel like that was a big misstep because he is not that is not the only what happened was a fellow teammate said he wasn't worried about the loss today. If they lose next week, then I'll be worried. And he said he believes in 
the manifestation of what you speak. And yes, I, I believe in that. I agree with that. I, I feel like I've done it myself. I've spoken into existence the house that I live in now. And I believe in the power of words. But for him to go out in the media and call out a fellow teammate for what is said in the locker room, that puts out to his fellow teammates that what you have to say behind closed doors in the facilities with your team are not safe. They're not, they're going to be aired to the media if he doesn't like what you have to say. And I believe that is a huge misstep on his part. And if he wants to talk about anything, talk about the two back-to-back batted passes at the line that cost them an opportunity to win the game. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what could have been done better on his part and not throwing his fellow teammates under the bus to redirect the spotlight of what happened and led to the downfall of the Green Bay Packers in London against the Giants because they didn't score a single point in the second half except for what the New York Giants gave them in a safety. They had 22 points. They got two points in the second half because of a safety late in the fourth quarter that the Giants gave them to run out the clock. So let's talk about that before you start throwing teammates under the bus. And next, this roughing the passer call is getting out of hand. We saw what happened to Tua, and it was horrendous and tragic. And honestly, I do hope I never see another play like that in the NFL. But for the roughing the passer call to be the flag to be thrown on normal football plays is ridiculous. The Grady Jarrett sack on Tom Brady on third down was horrendous. He grabbed him. He, he made a legit, legal football tackle, grabbed him by the waist, pulled him down. Tom Brady fell on top of him and then landed on the ground. And it was called roughing the passer. That is unexcusable for them to throw the flag to protect the quarterback against a legal hit. And it wasn't, didn't cause an injury. It wasn't overly aggressive. It wasn't none of the things that we represent as roughing the passer. It was a legitimate legal football tackle. And then the next was the roughing the passer against Chris Jones of the Kansas City Chiefs against Derek Carr. He got to, the, got to Derek Carr, caused the fumble, grabbed the football, and landed on Derek Carr. Once the ball was loose, Derek Carr is not considered a quarterback. He is another player. And for them to throw the flag on Chris Jones for roughing the passer when he wasn't a passer, and two, this man can't defy gravity and control where he falls once ever he is falling and he has the football in his hand. But these calls are getting egregious, and I understand it's it's to protect the players, but there has to be a point in time when protecting the players is being overdone by trying to... Protecting the players is it's it's getting too much and they can't make legal football plays and then defenders won't know what to do, how to tackle the quarterback. So if it progresses to the point where it is heading now, I don't think we're going to recognize and like the type of officiating and the type of calls that will be called on the field during games. 
especially if this is not a reviewable play as uh, targeting is in the college football game, if this is not made reviewable, because you got to think these men are roughly around six foot, 250 something pounds, roughly most quarterbacks are. That's what Tom Brady, he's, Tom Brady is 6'1", 240. And it takes a pretty strong guy to get him to the ground. Otherwise, he could escape, may move a little bit, and make a play downfield. So if we don't see a correction in the overcorrection of the roughing the passer penalty being called, then it's not going to be good for football. It's going to be outrage and... The defenders, the fans, and the coaches are going to want change. They're going to want something done because it's getting unacceptable. Real quick, I want to give a shout-out to the U.S. women's basketball team. They just won the FIBA gold medal, the World Cup. And they didn't lose a single game. Not one. These ladies put on display the ability that the U.S. women have on the hardwood and sealing, this, and sealing the win, sealing the series, sealing the championship, and really showed what they're capable of on the basketball court. I'll give a big shout-out to them. Okay, so I'm starting a new segment called Three Locks and a Long Shot. These are my betting odds. I pick three games that are, I believe are locks, are not, are can't-miss games when it comes to betting and I have a long shot which I believe could I could see it happening but I doubt it will so let's get right into it my three locks and a long shot number one is the Jets versus the Packers the Packers are seven and a half point favorites which I think is way too much considering they are one of the worst second half teams in the league Jets are way better than what we thought they would be so give me the Jets Plus seven and a half. Next is the Ravens at the Giants. Now the Ravens are favored five and a half by five and a half, but with the way they've blown leads this year, I don't really trust them, especially on the road. Yes, they are a better road team than they are a home team, it seems here recently. But they still have the the choking factor in them, it seems like. And the Giants are, they know what they are, and they play to their strengths. And so I believe the Giants will lose the game, but they will cover. I take the Giants plus five and a half. Next, my other lock is Bills at the Chiefs. For the first time in his career, Patrick Mahomes is a home underdog. Bills are favored by two and a half. And I believe the Chiefs are taking that personally. So I I would expect to see the Chiefs come out swinging and not letting off the throttle. I think the Chiefs win and cover. I'm taking the Chiefs plus two and a half. Now the long shot, it's the Panthers at the Rams. The Rams are favored by 10 points, which it seems like a big number. And honestly, it is a big number for what the Rams have been this year and what the Panthers are. I think the Rams will win by more than 10, 
but I honestly don't know with the way that Matthew Stafford has been turning the ball over this year and the way that the O-line has been protecting him, which has been almost non-existent if you watch the game against the Dallas Cowboys. They are struggling on the offensive line to protect Matthew Stafford. So the long shot is Rams minus 10.5. Rams win by more than that. They cover the spread. So I'm back, guys. Let me know what you think. If my stuff doesn't sound any better, I'm listening to it too. I'm making adjustments. If you have recommendations, let me know. I'm willing. I'm a willing. I have a willing ear, ready to listen. If you want to talk about some of the stuff I covered in this episode, feel free to message me, hit me up. Let's conversate. Let's talk about it. Who knows? Might bring you on the might bring you on the podcast myself. But hit me up. Let me know what you think. Follow me on Twitter at AaronNeil52, and this is the only sports show.